This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Many of our favorite places have had to shut down either temporarily or in some cases for good. There is talk of trying to provide financial assistance from the government to support the restaurant industry. Tom Colicchio, well-known chef with several restaurants in New York, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles. You've also seen him as the head judge on Bravo Network's Top Chef. And he's even doing his own podcast now, Citizen Chef. And he joins us on the line. Tom, great to talk to you. Hey, how you doing? Thank you very much. Uh, so what do you believe is the state of the restaurant industry right now around the country, and, and where is it headed? Well, it, it, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, you know, as you see um, in some states, restaurants that manage to open up um, with severe restrictions are being forced to shut down now. Uh, in California, uh, indoor dining has been uh, canceled, and, and it appears that there could be another stay-at-home order. Um, and I think we're starting to see, you know, spreads in, in various states as well, and that's going to keep people in. Um, in New York, um, where I have four restaurants, um, well, in New York City, where I have three restaurants, um, we are only, um, we only have outdoor dining available. Um, indoor dining was scheduled for, I think, about two weeks ago, and that was canceled. And so we have a long way to go, and, and you know, some um, studies have been done, uh, by the James Beard Foundation suggests that maybe only 20% of restaurants will survive. So you have talked about the role that, that maybe Congress needs to play in this process. Give us and lay out for us you think uh, what you think Congress needs to look at to try and give some support to the restaurant industry as we move ahead. Sure. I, I uh, am a co-founder of an organization called the Independent Restaurant Coalition, and we... Um, we have about uh, you know well over a thousand restaurants uh, that participate uh, um, on our calls. Uh, we have over sixty thousand um, uh, um, people who signed up for for uh, um, our uh, website and, and, and other information that we put out there. And we have our Restaurant Act um, that has both um, has we have bills both in in the House and in the Senate. Um, Congressman Blumenauer from Oregon, um, he wrote the bill in the House. Uh, right now we have about 97. We're closing in on 100 co-sponsors uh, in the House. And um, on the Senate side, uh, Senator Roger Wicker from Mississippi, who is a Republican, wrote the bill. And I believe we're getting close to uh, you know 10 or so co-sponsors on the Senate side. So there's bipartisan support for this bill. Uh, we're asking for $120 billion dollars. That will support independent restaurants, and we define independent restaurants as restaurants that are not publicly traded and restaurants that have fewer than 20 locations. Um, and we need this money to uh, get open, uh, sustain us through this period. Um, and number one, I mean, our businesses are important in, in the communities where, where they are. But number two, uh, we employ 11 million people. Um, yeah. Also, if you factor in all the fishermen and farmers and winemakers and cheesemakers and all the other businesses uh, that support our industry, we're talking about 20 million people. And so we believe if there's a stimulus package um, that is coming through uh, Congress, um, one of the best ways and one of the best places to put that money is restaurants because about 95 cents to 90, 90 cents to 95 cents of every dollar that comes into a restaurant goes out. 
Um, so it's a, it's a you know we don't hold on to it. We're not giving big bonuses to, to executives. We're not buying back stock or anything like that. We're putting that money back out into the community. So you bring up a, a, an important point that I wanted to touch on anyway. Is is that obviously the restaurant industry is being impacted by this, but then you have to throw in the farmers and the fishermen and you know, the people that make equipment that go into restaurants and all of these other pieces that are being impacted by the fact that the restaurant industry is going through a, 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 a very hard economic period right now. Right. Don't forget commercial real estate. That too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that supply us, but we, we, I mean, I, I, I don't know the number, but I guarantee, I guarantee you it's in the billions of dollars, um, in, in terms of, uh, money that goes through our, our leases, at least the 10 year lease. And we're talking about, you know, uh, a couple, you know, 500,000 restaurants. It's, it's a ton of money um, going through commercial real estate. And, you know, one thing that isn't talked about, yes, we want to make sure that, that, you know, uh, there are farms that are, that are vitally important and fishermen and people like that that earn a living selling to restaurants. And, yeah. um, but, you know, when restaurants disappear from communities, those communities aren't as safe as they used to be. When you have an anchor tent on the ground floor, especially a business that stays open late, um, there's activity on, on those streets. And so we need to make sure that we're there for the community as well. So there's, there's so many reasons why um, restaurants need to be um, uh, supported during this difficult time. And also keep in mind, we're, we're one of the few businesses, and there are others, but one of the few that, that were forced to close. Yeah. And as we open up, we have to open up with so many restrictions that are going to make it very, very difficult for us to survive. So – then let me ask you this question, because where I live in the, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, um, maybe about a mile from where I live, uh, is a place that I used to love to go to, and it has closed. And from everything we hear within the community, it is not going to be not going to reopen. And obviously, that's a, a story that is being repeated as, as we see play out across the country. Factored in with the commercial real estate side of this, I have thought up until this point that maybe two to three years down the road, we were going to see opportunities for other restaurateurs to go into those locations and maybe open them up once again. But as we're starting to see a longer impact potentially from the coronavirus and the economic recovery play out longer, maybe that window has to be even longer than two to three years you know, before we truly see a lot of restaurants return and kind of be back close to a new normal. Well, yeah, I, I, I've heard that before, and I, I think those words were actually, um, you know, came out of our, our president's mouth. And I, I just find that okay. to be really cynical in terms of, well, you know, it's going to close and somebody else will take its place. It's not going to happen like that. I mean, I, that was the case during the booming economy. That was the case when there were, 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 so few uh, places available. What's going to happen is, you think about it, most investments, especially in small independent restaurants, they're family investments, family and friends usually. There's, right. you know, some someone you know has, a, you know, some money they want to invest in a restaurant because they think it's a great idea. Those, those people aren't going to be lining up to invest in restaurants, especially once they've seen restaurants that are decimated. So I'm not sure where the capital comes from to do that. Okay. Um, you know, it takes a, a good amount of capital to open restaurants, and, and I just don't see that happening. Um and so I, I, I just, I just don't, I don't believe that that's going to be the case. 
Um, I think it's it's really, I mean, if you want to be an optimist and think, well, there's going to be opportunities down the road, again, I think that's really bad because the people who are going to get those opportunities are people maybe like me who are well-known, who have a good track record. It's not going to help um, small business owners, first-time business owners, uh, minority uh, you know, people of color who are already struggling to find capital to open up businesses. And so I, I just don't think that... Um, that's a, a line of reasoning that, that really makes sense or, hold, or hold, really holds up under scrutiny. We have great restaurateurs. And again, I'm not talking, when the Independent Restaurant Coalition, we're not just fighting for people like me. Yeah, I'm, I'm very vocal and I'm very, you know, out in front of this, but we're, we're talking about the mom and pops. We're talking about yeah. the immigrants that was, you know, recently naturalized that, that pulled all of their money, that literally it is mom and pop and the kids are working in the restaurant. Yeah. You know, because our... The, 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 met, the, the, the method for, for getting its money out to um, the restaurant community, it goes, through your, your, it goes through the IRS. And so if you file taxes, um, we know, uh, the IRS knows how much money, you, revenue you took in last year, and essentially the revenue replacement um, for, you know, for you know, six or seven months. And so um, it, it, it gets to everybody. People aren't going to get cut out like they were in PPP, I think. PPP, only 9% of that money uh, went out to restaurants. What then, what kind of uh, window do you think time-wise you're looking at in terms of restaurants needing support? And and I say that because there was a report this morning by uh, a health expert from here at the uh, University of Pennsylvania, Ezekiel Emanuel, who talked about back to normal not being until November of 2021, not this November, but November of the next year. And, and so it, it, I, I throw that to you in terms of the restaurant sector of thinking about, you know, being able to get through this period of time when the expectation of getting back to a normal, if we can get the virus under control, is so long a, a, a window at this point. Yeah. Yeah, Zeke, Zeke is, uh, he is an expert on, on these issues. Um, I, I know Zeke is also a big supporter of restaurants. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it, we have a long, long way to go to return to normal. Um, uh, you know, you, you see videos of, of restaurants and their outdoor you know, uh, spaces that are, that are packed, but it's really misleading because, you know, in, in my case, Kraft in New York, I only have 17 seats outside. We're not serving inside at all. Yeah. Uh, normally, I have 120 seats, and so we have a long way to go back to normal. And also, I, I think that, um, you know, yes, there's talk of maybe October, November of there being a vaccine. It's going to take months and months for en- enough people to be vaccinated, where people start feeling safe. We, we, we have a we have a long way to go, and we we really believe that um, the only way uh, independent restaurants are going to get through this um, is is you know, we need help, and, and, and we need help right away. As you mentioned, the clock is ticking every single day. Yeah. Restaurants close, and they're going to be closed for good. And so they're not able to hang on. You know, when we closed our doors, you know, uh, cash flow is the lifeblood to restaurants. And, you know, we're paying bills. If I were open today, I'm paying bills from 30 days ago. And when that, when that cash flow gets shut off, everything comes to a halt. And so to get open, I have to pay, you know, restaurateurs will have to pay back rent, They'll have to get you know caught up with their suppliers before suppliers will deliver food to them, and so we have a we have a long way to go um, uh, to make this work. And uh, you know we're hoping that in this next stimulus package that is being negotiated right now, that restaurants will be part of it. 
and and we think we think that uh, again we have bipartisan support for this. We have support from community and community leaders. We have uh, um, uh, support from from not only people who love restaurants, people who understand that restaurants. Um, you know, we're the first place that go when people look to do fundraisers. They yeah. want chefs there and restaurants there, and so uh, we give back to our communities in ways that that most people, uh, unless you're out there trying trying to, to to raise money for issues. Hold on a second. <laughs> my my dog is playing with a squeaky toy. Sorry. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> um, and so. Um, you know, we 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 feel that that we make a, a real compelling case for for why uh, we we need help. And again, we're not looking for some handout. We're looking for uh, a lifeline, really. Um, you know, we want to get back to work as quickly as possible, but we also know that it's not safe to operate a restaurant at full capacity, and it's not going to be anytime soon. By the way, was I saw a video of you at your house out on Long Island. Was that your dog Piper that was doing the squeaky toy? Well, no, no. Piper, Piper, unfortunately passed away in November. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, this is a new pup that we have. Uh, her name is Kiki. Um, so yeah, so so Piper. Um, uh, yeah, she she passed away after eleven years. Well, I, I was just going to bring that up because I have a daughter named Piper, so you know we obviously would have had a, oh. a you know a great a great connection there. <laughs> Let me ask you this then: Yeah, for no, you, we, have a t- we have a tiki now. <laughs> there you go. For you, for you specifically with your restaurants, and and we brought this up uh, on a prior show as well. As the pandemic hit, and you had to close locations across the country. Were you able to kind of resource all of the food that you had at your restaurants and and get that out to to people that needed it? Because I know also that that there are concerns out there uh, of food insecurity right now. Well, yes, we we did our our food though. We we our, our staff was you know took took it all. We could give it out to our staff. Okay. Um, you know, we don't have large inventories. We're a restaurant that deals mostly in fresh products. We only have about a day and a half supply of food on, on, on hand at any time, but we, we did get it out. But you bring up food insecurity, and, um, you know, this is something that I've been focused on for many years. My wife uh, made a film about food insecurity in America. And how and where where are the the areas that need to be uh, need to be addressed in regards to food insecurity? What needs to be done to be able to try and uh, I, I would love to say eliminate it, but at least deal with it on a better level. And and we may have a little problem with Tom's phone line. We're going to try and get him back. So we can talk about food insecurity. We're talking with Tom Colicchio, a well-known chef, owner of several restaurants in New York, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles. You also see him as the head judge on Bravo Network's Top Chef uh, and doing his own podcast, Citizen Chef, which I wanted to ask him about that as well. And we are hoping that we'll be able to get him back on the line. Sometimes you have these gremlins when you're doing uh, live radio. And Dion, what would you like me to do at this point? Okay, why don't we do that? Uh, while we're waiting to try and get Tom back on the line, let's do our history of the day. This is the history of the day. 
All right, it should be noted that on this day in history, back in 1944, during World War II, German military leaders attempted the assassination of Adolf Hitler on this day. On this date in 1968 at Chicago Soldier Field, the first Special Olympics began. Some 1,000 athletes, all who have uh, disabilities of some form, participated in that event. On this date in 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin becoming the first men to walk on the moon. And on this date in 1976, the Viking spacecraft landing on Mars and beginning to take soil samples. All this on this date in history july the 20th and i believe we have tom back on the line tom are you there i'm here yes okay so we were talking about food insecurity and and i had asked you what needs to be done to to be able to deal with this issue more so uh in a better fashion here in the united states and around the world i guess right so I, as i was saying um this is something that that i've been focused on for quite some time now my my, my wife um uh, directed and produced a film called A Place at the Table that, that uh, was a film about food insecurity uh, in America. And, um, well, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm happy to see that people are focused on this because of the pandemic and we're seeing uh, the visual signs of people that are, are struggling, meaning um, because typically people in this country go hunger, uh, hungry and you don't see it. But now there are visible signs. You see the, the three-mile, four-mile lines of cars that are lined up to, to a food bank to try to get food. And, um, and, and you know, what I'm hoping, um, because there are great programs like SNAP and like WIC and School Lunch yeah. that, that does a, a great job of, of – of, of taking care of people that are struggling for food on the table in this country. But those people are often, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of looked down upon. And, and you hear you hear people say things like, well, they should just take care of their own and they should pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And, you know, that it's their own fault. And, and yeah. so now what I see are people who four or five months ago would have never thought that they were lined up in a three-mile-long line for, for, for groceries. And, and so I'm hoping that when we get through this pandemic, there's going to be a, a greater sense of empathy in this country for people who are struggling. You know, no one, is, no one wants to be born as poverty. Yeah. Nobody wants to not be able to feed their family. People end up in situations um, every single day that, that aren't because of a pandemic that, that put them in a place where they are, are struggling to feed their families. And so uh, I'm hoping now there'll be a, a sense of uh, uh, solidarity to, to people who are, are struggling and that we finally um, do things like provide free school lunch for every single public school student in this country and that we actually fund uh, – um, you know, SNAP to a level that it should be funded. Um, you know, keeping in mind that most people receive SNAP for only, you know, six, seven months at a time before they're off, and knowing that if you're a single, able-bodied adult without dependents, you can only receive uh, three months of benefits in, in any three years. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a, a, an abuse of the system. Um, but, but right now what could be done is the federal government could be using restaurants uh, and giving you know, money for meals for restaurants to actually serve their community. And that will spread out the, um, uh, the, the effort to feed people so you won't see these long lines. Uh, you know, very similar to what Jose, my, my, my great friend Jose Andreas is doing through private charities where he's taking money and then feeding it to restaurants so they can help feed people in their community. Um, the government can be doing that, too. And, in fact, if the government very quickly did that, there wouldn't be hungry people because of COVID. We could have switched very easily, and then we could have done a few things. Restaurants could have stayed open. They could have paid their staff, 
and they could also continue to purchase from their supply chains. So then you wouldn't yeah. see um, farmers dumping milk and 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 things like that. And so th- this is all part of a, a greater plan that the government needs to have in place. Um, for emergencies and whether the local emergencies because of weather uh, you know, issues and, and incidents are uh, another pandemic that will eventually strike. This won't well, be the last one. It, so it, we just need to have a more resilient resilient country with, with smart government with, with a plan. And, and Tom, I think the, the, as we you know sit here now in you know heading towards the end of July and, and you know the discussions going on on Capitol Hill at, at this point, we're still looking at a, a fall which very much will likely see a lot of schools across this country, you know, do distance learning or maybe partially reopen, which means you're going to have lots more people working from home for the foreseeable future, which then I I would assume is going to be a trickle down effect or triple up effect of the restaurant and food industry still seeing a level of impact, even if they're open. Well, well, you bring up a great point. If, If you are, if you're a single parent that has to work and you have a child that is school age, what do you do? If, if the schools are closed, you can't go into daycare. You can't afford child care, you know, daily child care. So what do you do? You, you don't go to work. This is another reason why, you know, we desperately need our government to respond. And, and unemployment right now has been great because the federal government, uh, it, it put their, you know, a federal unemployment benefit of $600 a month. Uh, there's a lot of talk that people don't want to work. People can't work. <laughs> Their businesses are closed, or if they have to go back, to, can't go back to school, they're going to get stuck home. So we need to continue yep. unemployment. Um, again, I would have preferred to see what, they, what we've seen in, in a lot of European countries, where from day one, they just started paying 80% of everyone's salaries through their businesses. Um, the other problem that we have that's going to happen very soon is we have a health care problem, because yep. the majority of people get their health care from their workplace. Yep. And if they're no longer working, they're not going to get health insurance. That's another problem that we're going to have. Again, the, what COVID has done, what this pandemic has done, it actually has uh, illustrated the, 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 how our country really isn't resilient to something like this. And so now are we going to see a bigger push towards uh, uh, you know, national health care? Um, I think the answer is yes. I think people are realizing why we need that. Um, and again, national health care, we're talking about government health care. The government isn't making decisions on who gets care. It's just the government acting as the insurance company. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not that the government's also going to have you know, government doctors that are going to come, you know, that are working in hospitals. No, that's not what we're talking about. And so, but again, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of problems that are going to bubble up um, you know, because of the pandemic. And uh, you know, again, hopefully we have uh, you know, uh, our leaders who, who will recognize this and make the appropriate uh, decisions to, to, to curtail uh, these problems. Before we let you go, let me ask you about the, the, the media elements that you're involved with as well. Uh, what, what has this pandemic meant in terms of Top Chef and, and the, uh, the potential of taping episodes and, and doing a show coming up in the fall? Yeah, well, we are um, uh, looking at getting back into production soon. Um, uh, I, I spent uh, a couple hours on the phone last week going through COVID procedures. Um, and uh, 
so production is starting again, but it was, it was going to be probably a, a little bit different of a show. We're not going to be able to do the big events that we do with, you know, 200 people or so. And yeah. um, it's going to be, um, uh, you know, a completely quarantined set if we get up and running. But we, yeah. we are we are looking to uh, continue production. Um, you know, our, we, it takes only about six, seven weeks to shoot our show. Right. Uh, so if we have to quarantine the entire cast and crew, and we have about 120 people on our crew, um, I think we can do that. We just, you know, the idea is that we get a hotel, we're the only ones there, we lock it down, you can't come in, you can't leave, unless we're actually going to the set. And uh, it just becomes a bubble, and you yeah. can't get through that bubble. You know, we're even talking about if you need something from outside, there'll be a group of people who can't come in the hotel but actually can go and get stuff if you need it. Right. Um, and they're talking about the whole crew, not just not just like, you know, me, Potter, and Gail. Like the entire crew, if you need shaving supplies, if you need you know, whatever you need, <laughs> someone will be there to go out and shop and bring it to you and drop it off if they don't come in the hotel. So that's, uh, that's some, those are some of the things that we're looking at doing right now. And, and quickly, you're doing your own podcast now, so tell us about that. I am. Yeah, it's called Citizen Chef. It's uh, with iHeartRadio. And uh, it, this has been a long time coming. In fact, uh, uh, a couple of years back, five, five years ago, I was a food correspondent for MSNBC. And I was going to do a show very similar to this. And then after uh, the election three and a half years ago, they decided that food wasn't going to be that big of an issue. And so um, <laughs> my contract ran out and uh, that left me without a home for the show. And I shopped it around a little bit. And then, um, you know, decided that, you know, a, a podcast might be the way to go. And as it turns out, I think it was a great, great thing to do because, um, you know, I set up my studio in my, in a closet in my house. In fact, I'm doing some work right after this interview. And, um, I have uh, my own little studio and we just contact people. Um, and so we can, we can do a podcast from a very safe distance and, uh, it, it's been great. I, and, and, uh, I think we're six episodes in another episode drops tomorrow and I'm, I'm doing that with iHeartRadio and, and I have, a a great production team, and uh, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty psyched about it. And what we do is we, we look at news of the day um, through, a food, through a food lens. Um, yeah. And um, so, I, obviously, COVID is the news of the day, um, but there are other uh, issues, too. So we're looking at corporate concentration, especially in meat processing, which is, is you know, something that we wanted to do before COVID. Now it's become very uh, newsworthy uh, because of what we're seeing, what's going on with all these um, meat production facilities and the spread of COVID. We, we actually tackled issues like uh, slavery um, in the food system. Um, there are boats that go out tuna fishing that stay out for, you know, three, four, five months where people are enslaved on the boats fishing. They yeah. can't get off because the boats never go to port. Yeah, and so that's a story that we, that we that we tackle. We tackle uh, issues around immigration and the food system, and uh, um, so it's uh, it, it's been a long time coming, and it's it's a, it's a passion of mine. I, I, I'm very much into policy, and sure. um, yeah, um, we have uh, you know the, the, our producers are doing a great job of finding experts who typically aren't the the you know the, the everyday person that, that sort of opines on some of these issues, and so it's been really really great. Tom, thanks very much for your time. Stay safe and all the best, and look forward to talking to you again at some point down the road. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Tom Colicchio, who you know uh, as uh, the head judge on Top Chef and also a restaurant owner with locations in New York, L.A., and Las Vegas. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.